feel like a proper adult. Cool. So um, this week and last week have come about after Jamie and myself read a book by an American pastor called Tim Keller, Hidden Christmas. And we realized that sometimes we can miss how amazing the story of Christmas is just through getting caught up in the tradition and the familiarity. So last week we were looking at the threat of Christmas and how it's actually a lot more threatening than we could imagine. The Christmas story means that we lose our crown, we lose our right to name Jesus and ourselves, and we lose our call. And we thought of uh, three ways in which you could respond, and we suggested that it could have been so repenting from being your own boss, from naming yourself, repenting from naming Jesus the wrong thing, and making a commitment to lose your call if need be. So this week we're going to be looking at the, the wondrous aspect of the Christmas story. And today, I don't really see myself as much as a, of a child. So it's not so much, in, and we're all probably quite familiar with the story of Christmas, but our hope today is that God really captures your heart so that the real wonder of Jesus' coming can filter through. So the three things that we want to look at today when thinking about the good news of the Christmas story is Knowing the news, loving the news, and sharing the news. So let's roll back the years. A newborn baby's crying tears, and his conception was nothing like his peers. Angels announced his birth, while animals probably witnessed it. That's a strange image to try and conjure up in your head, isn't it? He's a king, but... Nothing at face value would suggest it. And he wasn't quite the king that the people expected. Not the easiest on the eye. No actual throne. No fancy fortification that he could call home. People thought that he was an illegitimate child, which left him and his parents being reviled. The story's crazy if we actually think about it, but the reality is that I couldn't live without it. Get it straight anyway. So Mary was a virgin and she became pregnant through an angel appearing and telling her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the Most High will overshadow her. That's a tough one to get your head around. And Mary was confused too, but it happened anyhow. Now she's engaged to Joseph. Imagine having to explain that to him. There's a bunch of cultural issues that arise too, which we'll try and explain, but right now I don't have the time to. So Joseph struggles to believe her, but still he doesn't leave her. Then an angel appears in his dream telling him that it's true. And if I was him, I'd find that pretty convincing too. So fast forward a little bit and Jesus is born. But what's the big deal? Why did he need to be formed? Was it just a good story that we could say, that's nice, ain't it? My answer is no, because his birth was life-changing. So we were on this planet doing stupid and dangerous stuff, and we couldn't get to God, so he came to us. And Jesus is the one who made the way for us. This isn't something I'm making up. It's real. Christmas marks the beginning of the reconciliation between us and God. 
See, I've done a lot of bad things, but Jesus had done no wrong. And still he let us put all of our sin onto him so we could be right with God again. And the Christmas story is where that begins. So the first thing I want to think about is knowing the news. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a lot in just that one verse about who Jesus is, but what I want to do is focus on the last bit, the Prince of Peace. And peace is something that I've been thinking about a lot, and it's kind of a word that obviously everyone knows, everyone has a, as an idea of it, but I've been really thinking, what actually is peace? Like, what does that actually mean? And in English, the word peace can cover up quite, it can bring up quite a, a passive picture, perhaps suggesting just the absence of unrest and hostility or being free from internal or external strife. And peace definitely encompasses those things, but God's peace is a lot larger than that, and it means to be complete. And Christmas can often end up being a time where we might feel incomplete, either through feeling lonely or through feeling as if it's a chance where we can get that present that will just make us feel so much better, you know, bring, bring an element of completeness to us. And it's kind of the way in which the economy works, because if we felt complete, we wouldn't really want anything for Christmas, would we? So this model is being perpetuated of kind of feeling incomplete and discontent around this time of Christmas. And as consumers, we're made to continually feel that, that discontent or that unhappiness. And the subliminal message that we're being sent is, you're incomplete, but get this new gadget, you'll be complete. Get them new trainers or that new computer game, you'll be complete. Or try this new diet or this new activity. Or get into this relationship and that will bring about some completeness. Now, I don't want a show of hands. All right? I repeat, I don't want a show of hands. But I just want you to have a think about some of these following things. So maybe you felt like if you just had that new gadget, like I said, a new phone, maybe some new Air Max trainers, new computer game, I'm too old to play computer games, whatever it is, something, maybe it would just complete you. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Or would you just feel so much better if you, you got that job that you wanted? It would have just, life would be so much more complete. Or you'd be so much happier if you were married. Or, and I don't want any hands, you might feel so much happier if you weren't married. I don't know. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, if one of those things above happened to you, then you'd feel better for a while. But it can't bring about that completeness that Jesus the Prince of Peace brings. John 14, 27, this is Jesus talking. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I love that verse. I think it's just amazing. I think the true gift of Christmas is that Jesus was born to bring that peace that he's talking about. Meaning we wouldn't need any of these other things to complete us. No relationship, no product, Nothing. And when I think back on my life, I can think of loads of times where I've tried to find that, that thing that would complete me. Um, and I was thinking back to a few years ago when I had this song that was doing really well. It was called Talk To Me, and it was 
being played on the radio. It was doing all the right things. And uh, we got to a point where we realized it was going to make it into the official chart. And um, I remember I was in the studio on the day that you kind of, it's a Friday that you find out the final results. And I was in the studio and my manager rang me and he was like, congratulations, man. We've got a top 20, we've got a top 20. And I was like, oh, sick, what number, what number? And he was like, number 19. <laughs> <laughs> Just scrapes it. And uh, I remember I felt disappointed. Now, if you'd have told me five years ago that I'd have a top 20 or a top 40 or a top 100 or anything, I would have taken it. And I haven't been close to the top 20 since. But I felt disappointed. And the reason I felt disappointed was because you get like, it's the worst, you get these midweek updates. And it's not really midweek, you just get an update every day of what position you're in. So after day two, I was number two, right? And I would have been number one if Sam Smith hadn't decided to <laughs> release like the James Bond theme tune or something. So it was like, oh, we're number two. And then everyone at my record label was well excited. They started putting loads of money into promotion. And then the week went on. And then it was like, all right, we're number five. I was like, all right. Then we're number nine. And then as the week, so we just got in. And I felt disappointed. And the reason I felt disappointed, because number 19 didn't change my life. Look, I'm still here. So, <laughs> but I thought a number two, like that will, if I, if I had a top three, that puts me in a whole different conversation. I thought it would bring about that completeness. The reality is, though, I reckon if I got, say, a top three, I would have been like, well, it's not a number one, is it? And then if I got a number one, I probably would have been like, well, now the next song's got to be number one. And I realised through that whole thing, I was looking for this music for my job, for my status or something to validate me as a person. And this, this idea, this, this truth that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that eradicates all that rubbish that I was trying to find. Is Raphael about? I wanted to share, we're going to have a little testimony, um, just to give you another example of how real this stuff is. Because we can often end up thinking, yeah, it's a cute little baby, whatever, born 2,000 years ago. Um, what does it mean for me? But just wanted to have a little chat with Raphael. If I can. <laughs> so Raphael, you've been coming to church here for nearly six months. Yeah. Um, what would you say your experience of Christianity was before coming? Well, first of all, bruv, you're never too old to play video games, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, background story. Um, I was christened a Catholic, raised in the Methodist church. Um, used to go to Sunday school, that kind of stuff. Was put on the church council and all that. Voice of the youth, they called me. I don't really know what that means, but yeah. <laughs> but um, certain things happened in my life. I had to grow up quickly and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I fell away from Christianity. And I had a conversation with uh, Reverend James. Reverend James said to me, Raphael, how can, you, how can we bring more youth into the church? And I said to him, well, you kind of need to listen to the youth that are in the church right now because they've been saying for years they want to have a youth club. You know, the ripple effect. They bring their friends, friends bring their friends, etc., etc., blah, blah, blah. And Reverend James says to me, and I couldn't believe it when he said this to be honest, he said to me, yeah, but we don't want to attract the wrong sort. 
And I'm looking at him like, you're a man of God, yeah? Hmm. Okay. So, fell away from Christianity, spent about 15 years doing all type of nonsense, all type of foolishness. Cool. So, something happened earlier this year. Mm -hmm. So about 15 years you haven't been coming to church, around yeah. that period of time. Something happened this, earlier this year that made you feel like giving church a try again. Mm -hmm. So I moved to uh, Chadwell Heath in January. Um, I used to live in Edmonton. If any of you don't know anything about Edmonton and Tottenham, it's not a nice place to grow up, to be honest. It's really not. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the point we're making, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> In my Chad or Heath moments, like a sort of fresh Prince of Bel-Air moment, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so you asked your uncles if you could come to church again. Yeah. Who they, are your uncles, just for those of you? Oh, um, my Uncle Tony and my Uncle Robert, the Calderas, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, they never asked me. I just kind of got this sort of, I can't really describe why, but I was just like, can I come to church with you guys one Sunday? Well, you actually said as well that you saw something different about your family members yeah. that were going to church. Yeah, so obviously where I'm in Chadwell Heath, we all live like five minutes from each other. So I spent more time with them and I started to realise, you know what? The little time that I spent with them before and all the time I'm spending with them now, there's something different about them, you know what I mean? Mm. There's something that I couldn't put my finger on. Cool. So, how did you find church when you started coming along? I'm not going to lie, I wasn't sold. <laughs> you know, I thought you all had a great community here and everything, and you know, John knows some stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, I still had like a barrier up, you know, the whole giving God a try, you know what I mean? Having a relationship with him, it wasn't there, I wasn't ready, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you said you carried on coming, it became a bit of a, a falser habit. Yeah. And. So let's fast forward now to a few weeks ago. So you've been coming mm -hmm. for about six months. Mm -hmm. Could you describe what happened a few weeks ago? All right, so I no started noticing things like, you know, the Friday before things changed, I was gonna go and do some stupidness I shouldn't have been doing. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I happened to see my dad at Liverpool Street. We had a good conversation and that, and then I went home. And then on the way home, I get a text from my mum saying that my sisters really miss me and that. So I was like, I look up there and I'm like, using my family, yeah? <laughs> you know what buttons to push, innit? <laughs> so Saturday, a few weeks ago, I'm reading the uh, book that the Alpha Course is based on. Um, what's it called? Uh, that's it, yeah. Questions. Something like that. It's a good book. Yeah. <laughs> so good I remembered the title. <laughs> So you're reading that book? Yeah, I'm reading that book. I read it cover to cover, actually. Marnie Pam gave it to me. And uh, I started, picked up my Bible. I read something from, I think it was Ephesians 5 or 6, one of them anyway. That's not important. Anyways, um, I just got this urge. I can't describe what happened, but even if it was me doing it, but I just got this urge and I just, in my bedroom, got on my knees. And I said, if you are there, if you can hear me, I am not running my life in any way, shape or form well on my own. So if you're there, I'm broken, help me. 
And I confessed everything I ever did. Every sin, sin upon sin upon sin, everything. And I'm crying hysterically, and I'll give, and to be honest, I don't cry. The only time I ever cry, on cue every time, is at the end of Rocky Two. <laughs> every time. <laughs> cool. So it sounds like you met with God in a really powerful and a new way. Mm-hmm. So that was a few weeks ago. How have things been since then? Well, when it happened, you know, after all the crying, I heard it. It was subtle. I thought it was going to sound like Morgan Freeman or something. <laughs> it was subtle. But all I heard was, I forgive you. You're forgiven. And yeah, since then, my life's been sweet. It's simple. I'm just content, peaceful, you know what I mean? Mm. I just think to myself in every situation, every person I speak to, anything, I think to myself and I ask, and when I say my prayers in the morning and the evening, first of all, praying for my family, who I actually want to say to them, do you know what? Thank you for bringing me here, honestly. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. I ask God for the strength and the power to glorify his name in my thoughts, in my words, and my actions. Mm. And since then, I think that is hard, you know, being a Christian. <laughs> you mean, remember me talk about losing your cool? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, since then, my life is sweet, man. Like, you know, just thinking every situation, am I glorifying God? Mm. When I'm talking to a girl, am I glorifying God? Mm. Which is hard sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's me now, man. Can we make some noise for Raphael? That's amazing, isn't it? And that's the outworking of Jesus coming to earth. 2,000 plus years on, people like Raphael are still encountering this Jesus has come to make peace. That's good news. You know, that is good news. He's come to see that the world's different because of what Jesus has done. I found that pretty convincing, but maybe you're sitting there thinking, do you know what, I'm a pretty peaceful person. This doesn't really apply to me. But whether you like it or not, you were at war with God. So this is a pretty powerful couple of verses. This is Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22. And it says, Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. That's so important. This is what we're celebrating. We were isolated. We were cut off from God. We couldn't get there if we tried. But Emmanuel came to us, meaning that God and sinner, that's us, we're reconciled. And that has life-changing implications, just like we've just heard. No other religion offers that, that concept of God coming to us. And just imagine what it would look like if that was what Christmas was really celebrated for. Instead of being this just commercial event, we're actually celebrating that God and man are reconciled. Now, I want to make it clear that if this story is true, then we have to respond to it. Because it's good news. It's not good advice. Because advice, that's counsel about what you must do. Whereas news, that's a report about what's already been done. 
Advice urges you to make something happen. News urges you to recognise that something has happened and you have to respond to it. Advice says it's all up to you to act. News says someone else has acted. Right? So let's say there's an invading, town, an invading army coming towards a town. What does that town need? They need advice. They need military advisors. Someone to explain where to build the trenches, where to put the marksmen, where do the tanks go. But if a great king intercepts and defeats that invading army, what does that town now need? It doesn't need military advisors anymore. It needs messengers. And the messengers, they're not going to say, here's what you have to do. Actually, what they're going to be saying is, stop running, stop building your fortifications, stop trying to save yourselves. The king has saved you. Something has been done, and it changes everything. So this can't just be something that we might want to add to our current belief systems. It's an event that did happen, and because it happened... It's transformed the way of the world. It's good news to all people, no matter of their opinion, their persuasion. We were all separated from God. We couldn't get to him, so he came to us. We can often think, well, some people really need God. Like, they're in a bad way. But not me. I'm all right. I'm middle class. I've got good manners. The world ain't treating me too badly. I'm not a bad person. But that's not true. The reality is this is good news for everyone and it has to have an impact on everyone. It's not tips on how to improve your life. The reality is we're now living under the reign of a new king who has brought in a new kingdom and things now operate. In a radical. Okay, so there's a couple of bits about Mary's response that I want to use right now. Um, so this is when the angel first comes to talk to her in Luke 1. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this, uh, at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? So that's when she first um, talks to the angel. And then we jump down to Luke 2, and the shepherds have just come to see Jesus. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Now, the stuff that that Nick was just kicking off then, that knowing the news, the news is such good news. It's incredible. But we're called not just to know the news, but we're called to love the news. And 
that's, that's where a miracle can really happen for us because you guys have all done these stories, all heard this stuff thousands of times before. And when me and Nick were preparing, we were saying, you know what, we can't, there's no way we can make it so that you love it. It's got to be something that, that God does. And there's some things that we see in the Bible are some things that we can do to facilitate or make ourselves open to what God does. And we see it in, this, in Mary's reaction. So the first thing she does is she wonders. So Mary was greatly troubled at his word and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And you see that further reflected further down in that bit of scripture when she asks the angel, how can this be? Now that's a very key question within the whole idea of wondering. Because to wonder actually means to make an audit. It's an accounting term. You add things up. You weigh them. There's a kind of a rational thought that goes into it. How can this be is a very good question. Because we're not expected to just swallow stuff without thinking about it. She doubted. She questioned. She used reasoning. She asked questions. This is what opened the doorway to faith. So the Bible actually welcomes doubts and questions. But there's two different types of doubt. There's the doubt that seeks answers and the doubt that acts as a defense against possible answers. You can use doubt to try and stay in control. But there should be a sense to which this stuff is hard to get your head around. Tim Keller says, If you have never stood and looked at the gospel and found it ridiculous, impossible, inconceivable, I don't think you have really understood it. There should be a, really? How? How was that possible? How did that work? Because God uses those questions to open the doorway of faith, which causes a whole response to it, not just knowing in our head, but a believing in our hearts also. When Mary's talking to the angel, she says, I am the Lord's servant, may your word be fulfilled to me. The context of that quote, it's almost like, all right, if you say it, I'm going along with it, but I'm aware of what this is going to cost me. This is, this is hard for me to swallow. After she meets Elizabeth, her cousin, we agreed, right, last time? She meets Elizabeth, and the, you remember... Uh, Baby John the Baptist jumps in the womb and, she, and Elizabeth starts prophesying, saying, how blessed am I that the mother of the Lord has come to see me. That was the confirmation that then Mary uh, sings this song. And in, in that song it includes, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my saviour for he has, he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant from now on all generations will call me blessed. There was a total response at this point. There was a, a building up of pressure with the facts that she was reasoning with. But there's something that touched her soul at that point as she chose to wonder. She's not merely faithfully submitting. This, it's got to move from the head to the heart. And it involved her whole self. It was bubbling up. She couldn't keep it down. And we should all have that kind of reaction when we're looking at the gospel. That kind of question of... I, of all people, have been loved and embraced by God. You did it for me. You came for me. I will be considered blessed of every generation. You gave such a huge gift 
to me. That's the pattern of wondering. She, almost, she also pondered. And that's kind of asking the question, how does this fit? What is, what is the context to this? And that's what pondering means. It means putting something into, connect, in, into context and connecting it with other things. To think it out. So when you get a word, is well, what does this word mean? How does that fit with other things that I already know? How does it fit with the word of the Bible? How does it mean fit with prophetic words? How do those things build on each other? It says in Psalm 119, 100, verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. And it's like that sense of kind of, let's keep unpacking this and seeing what's there. Tim Keller says, what looks like a simple statement when pondered can be discovered to have multiple dimensions of meaning and endless personal application, far more than could be discovered with a cursory glance. All my life I've looked at Christmas with a cursory glance and I'm being challenged to look at what is this gospel, what is the beginning of this message and what are the implications of that. We've just spent two weeks looking at it now. He, in the book, Tim Keller gives an example of being given a Bible verse in one conference, and um, it was, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then the, the person leading the seminar said, now I'm going to give you 30 minutes to write every thought that you have related to that verse. And so everyone just goes into silence and they're writing. And he said, I've seen this verse quite a few times, and within five minutes I thought I was done. But then I looked up and realised everyone else was still working. So he kept on going and kept on going. And suddenly he started to see things that he'd never thought of before. And at the end of the session, the person leading the seminar said, OK, put your hands up if you'd seen something you'd never seen before. OK, put your hands down if that came within the first um, five minutes, within the first 10 minutes, within the first 15 minutes, within the first 20 minutes, within the first 25 minutes. 90% of the hand remained because it was in the last five minutes that those truths started to drop down because they were unfolding and discovering. And there's a real... With our culture, we like things instant and we like to have quick emotional kicks out of stuff. But there is something about allowing the building of faith, like we see with Mary, where actually there's an intentionality of... God, I want you to speak to me. I want to get all these things. I want to ponder these things. And it says that she treasured the things that came from, that were said by the, the shepherds. So everyone else was amazed, but she treasured these things. So that, that's about savouring. So keeping the flavour going. Keeping something alive. Letting it affect us deeply. And that's when we start to, we, we savour by saying, if this is really true, what does it mean for me? What's the application? How would life be different if I really believed this from the bottom of my heart? How would it change the way that I think, the way that I feel, and the way that I act? How would it change my relationships? How would it change my attitude to God? To treasure something, you put it on display but you also protect it at the same time. Only the trusted may touch it. So let's have a little practice. 
I'm still learning this, so I'm not, I'm not very far ahead. Just had a little bit of time to think about it. So let's take this, this scripture. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. With us. Now there's another bit in the Bible, this is making that connection, where Jesus calls his disciples so that they might be with him. Okay, so there's that same kind of concept. So what do we then see Jesus doing with his disciples? Well, his presence is with them. They're conversing together. They're learning together. They're having his comfort around them at all times. It's about bringing the possibility of relationship with God and actualizing it. The God that was unapproachable before can be known and loved. Let's build on that a little bit more. So the word became flesh and made in dwelling amongst us. We see his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, so we're getting this idea that what couldn't have been seen was going to be seen. Well, I still... Still looking from this side of history, it doesn't really, I'm, I'm not getting the full impact. But when we jump backwards and we see Moses, Moses said to God, let me see your glory. Let me see you. To which God replied, so God's going to pass before him, but he's going to cover him with his hand and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. If Moses was here, if he was part of the Christmas story, what would he have been saying? You what? You get to see him? That was the very thing I was denied when I asked for it. You're going to get to see him face to face? You're going to get to relate to him like that? I wanted that. I looked forward to that. But that is now possible for us. The experience that Raphael had that's now possible? Why are you not more excited? This is available to us. That's what Moses would be saying to us. You see, God wrote himself into the story. C.S. Lewis, how could Hamlet ever find Shakespeare? Could he look for him by going into the attic of, of his castle? How would he ever know what he's like? And he said, the only way that Hamlet would ever know what Shakespeare is like is if Shakespeare wrote about himself into the story that Hamlet was in. Christmas is when God wrote himself into our story so we could see him, so we could witness him, so we could be part of life with him. Christmas is about a loving God who came to share in the human condition so that he could live the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And he was glad to do it. The more we chew on this stuff, the more we open ourselves to God bringing fire into our heart and loving the message. What are the implications for my life if I truly let this stuff in? So share in the news. And maybe some of us in here feel like, well... Who am I to, to share this news? I'm a, I'm a far from perfect person. I'm a flawed individual. Or just It's not for me to do. 
So I want to look at a few things about Jesus um, just around that. So the first thing I want to do is look at the genealogy. So I haven't haven't got it on here because I'm not very prepared. But in the beginning of Matthew, there's a long um, list of Jesus' family tree, basically, starting from Abraham, Matthew chapter 1. And it goes all the way through how we got from Abraham to Jesus. It's a genealogy. And in those days, a genealogy was kind of like your CV. It was your family, your pedigree, the people that you were connected to that constituted your CV. So your genealogy was your way of saying to the world, this is who I am. And the purpose of it was to impress onlookers with the higher quality and respectability of your roots, you know. Look at the stock that I come from. So you'd imagine that Jesus' genealogy would almost be a little something like this. That's how a king should arrive, you know. That's, that's, that's kind of what I imagine. And that's what the genealogy was for. When we, when we hit, look at um, Herod, it was, it was believed that he doctored his genealogy to make him look more impressive, to kind of get rid of the, the not-so-impressive people in his family tree. But Jesus' genealogy is pretty different. So we haven't got time to go all through it, but just to give you an overview of some of the people in Jesus' genealogy. So you've got Rahab, she was a prostitute. Solomon, he was a polygamist. He had over 700 wives, 300 concubines. Manasseh, who was a a pagan worshipper, practiced witchcraft, he worshipped stars, he'd done all sorts. Oh, you've got David, who's King David. You know, you suddenly think, all right, this is... This is some of the, this is what we're after. But even when you look at uh, David, in his genealogy, it highlights one of his, the bits that he would have liked to forget. So it says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. So Bathsheba was someone who David impregnated, and she was the wife of one of his most loyal soldiers, Uriah. And in the end, got Uriah killed in order to cover up this sin. So we can see, even in the genealogy, when, you, when there's someone mentioned who we would have liked to probably highlight as, as a good thing, they're, they're highlighting the fact that David was a very, very flawed individual. And it was out of this dysfunctional family that the Messiah came. So we've got adulterers, adulteresses, incestuous relationships, prostitutes, cultural outsiders, racial outsiders, gender outsiders... And the Bible doesn't cover up all of these broken people in Jesus' family tree. Jesus didn't hide the embarrassing parts of himself. He promoted them. So if you think that you've got something that disqualifies you from sharing this message, from being part of this, it doesn't. But also, if you think you have something that might qualify you, that makes you great, it doesn't. Jesus' genealogy highlights that we are all qualified because of what he did, not because of anything that we've done. And he's not put at disadvantages because of our weakness. So in conclusion, it might be that you've heard the good news and you're thinking, you know what, I've not responded to this. I need, I need to respond to it. It might be that you thought, you know what, I've kind of taken this stuff for granted. I've not really looked at it. I've not thought about it. I've not allowed it to evoke a response from me. And that's about asking God, God, come meet with me 
allow this stuff to become live, that I would love it. And it might be that you've always thought that you've disqualified yourself from being able to share the gospel. Well, God's not, not afraid of you. He's not ashamed of you. Because actually, in the very weakness are the things that he uses to show his strength.